Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, episode 44, the one about podcast media kits, fact-checking, LinkedIn creator profiles, and the invisible man. Let's get on with the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. As always, we're here to keep you up to date with the latest news, tech, content and wisdom from the world of marketing. And as always, my co-host is a man on a mission to demystify digital marketing. He's the host of the Content Marketing Studio video podcast. Please welcome Mr. Pascal Fintoni. Well, thank you so much. Let me introduce you to a man who's also on a mission to keep marketing simple, the voice of the marketing and finance podcast and the host of the Roger video series. I give you Monsieur Roger Edwards. Oh, fantastic. And here we are, Pascal, with episode 44. I know. Fantastic. So, without further ado, I think we should dive straight into the news. Almost nine in 10 UK employees would prefer a fully flexible approach to returning to work and be given the choice to work remotely whenever they wish, according to a survey from the Institute of Practitioners in Advertising, the IPA. MTV has partnered with the environmental charity Global Action Plan to launch a digital campaign to inspire young people to believe in a more sustainable future, and it's called Flickers of the Future. Marks and Spencer may have recorded over £201 million group loss during the pandemic. However, the retailer is celebrating an exceptional period thanks to its partnership with online supermarket Ocado. The UK reaches critical mass of homegrown AI companies with over 600% growth over the last 10 years. 1,300 companies purportedly focus on AI with a turnover of $2 billion. Wow, well, Legoland Windsor Resort has launched an augmented reality experience creating using Zaphouse technology. The AR feature has been added to the resort's app as part of the opening of Lego Mythica, World of Mythical Creatures. Pepsi says it's better with burgers in a shot across Coke's bow. Their CEO says we're going to put a stake in the ground and prove that all burgers go better with Pepsi and give everyone the chance to try Pepsi with their favourite burger. Twitter is introducing the much-requested undo tweet button, but only as part of its new subscription service, Twitter Blue. And finally, TikTok just gave itself permission to collect biometric data on US users, including face prints and voice prints. So, Pascal, what do you think about a subscription version of Twitter, given that it's been free for, what, at least 12 years now? I'm not sure. And the reason for that, Roger, is that because we have little news and little kind of uh, information about Twitter Blue. It was announced, I think, a few weeks ago now. We've not seen it in, in action. The promises are around some news that only you can access using the, your Twitter Blue account and other f- features. But it's just very light in information. Now, you could argue it's a micro payment. They are talking about 2 $3 a month, if that. But it feels very mean that this idea of editing and controlling your tweets would only be available to those who are paying for it. Yeah, there, there's certainly been very, very little information, and, and to be honest, apart from the undo button, <laughs> and I think, and, and I think there's 
something about different forms of lists and things that you can create, which I have to say didn't get me very excited. But they are being very, very secretive about it. Now, I'm, I'm a little bit torn as to whether you need an undo button. I mean, I, there's frequently times when I've tweeted something and realized that I've spelt a name wrong or something and effectively have to delete the tweet and retype it. So I guess for something like that, it would be useful. But they're always going to have to be putting a time limit on it because otherwise people are just be going back in time to edit tweets. Say if they, they, they tweet something wrong or something, they just go back and, and edit it. So yeah, I, I think we need, as you say, a lot more information on what Twitter Blue is going to be. And uh, maybe it'll be that sacred blue tick that everybody seems to aspire to. Well, well, I mean, what is interesting is Twitter has in, looked into introduced things like the, the tipping jar and ways in which you can reward creators. I think it's mostly rolled out in the US for now. But it's back mm. to this idea of, mis, of not misinformation, undercommunication is a term I, I was uh, looking for here. This idea of you get me reasonably interested or intrigued about this announcement, but there's nothing behind it. And mm. um, got to be careful with communication, particularly nowadays where it, it is much faster than than it used to be. You've got to give the, give people the full picture, or they start to reach their own conclusions. So actually, in general, it's just been a, a rather negative reaction, saying, "Well, why should I have to pay to control my tweets?" And by the way, we ask for edit tweet, not undo tweet, and so on. So you end up with uh, more of that going on online than the sense of excitement. Yeah, it, it doesn't really sound as if they've actually listened to what the customer base is asking for here. So I thought we'd talk about that Legoland app, mm. which sounds absolutely incredible. Uh, Legoland Windsor, which is a stone's throw from Heathrow Airport. So um, if anybody fancies going there, it's, it's very um, cl close by to Heathrow, so you can't miss it. But I actually watched a guy do a video on this very subject, this mythica world of mythical creatures. Actually, maybe he should have been a content spotlight. He, he runs a, uh, a channel called Theme Park Worldwide. Mm. Now, it just looks incredible the way they've grafted this in. Now, admittedly, you have to walk around with your app, but it's obviously activated by GPS or something when you walk through the tunnels of this, uh, this part of the resort. And Things flash up on the screen like the great big monsters and the and the uh, the dinosaur type creatures, and obviously you've got information about them, and and it really does seem to graft into the actual surrounding area really well. I think for me it's it's kind of interesting. Lego as a brand has always been ahead of, on many things, such as product design, marketing campaigns, and so on. I will mm. confess, when the resort opened, I'm going to say late '90s, early 2000s, I was a bit perplexed as to why people want to walk around looking at Lego bricks and, and, and <laughs> so on and so forth. But I know there's a strong, strong following. There's even a TV show that you can catch on cable of people competing by building all sort of uh, contraptions using Lego bricks. But this idea of how do we keep you know the audience engage how do we secure the uh, goodwill for future generation uh, i think that's a very very smart move yeah and there's one thing i've always wondered about the lego resort and i mean i've never been there um but you obviously see it in, in videos as i've said is for example the eiffel tower or the, the houses of parliament which they have models of there are they actually literally built from individual Lego bricks, or is it really just a great big con? In fact, they've <laughs> got a great big molded Eiffel Tower with the little ridges on it, but actually it's a, 
one huge Eiffel Tower shaped pla- piece of plastic with Lego bits sort of molded into it, or is it genuinely Lego bricks? I just don't know. I just have this image of Lego fans listening to this or watching it, just you know, reeling in horror as yeah. Roger Edwards is suggesting that people are cheating. Uh, I do believe that it's every single brick, and in fact, that's the, the appeal, isn't it? Some of the uh, what has been built is gigantic, and there's yeah. thousands upon thousands of of, of bricks. Yeah, so so I apologise to any <laughs> Lego fans out there. Please feel free to throw Lego at the screen as we as we continue to ch- talk about in the news. So, Pascal, the other one I wanted to talk about today was this artificial intelligence. Now, I was actually quite shocked to find that there are thirteen hundred companies in the UK with that combined turnover of two billion dollars purportedly in the AI space. Now, interestingly enough, uh, a friend of mine, Theo Priestley, who's been a, a, a shout out on the show before, he did tweet this fact. And he just said, I don't believe that all of these companies are genuinely about AI. They may just be doing a bit of computer programming and mm. calling it AI. Gosh, I'm sounding cynical today, aren't I? But <laughs> I, don't, I'm, I don't mean to be. But I, I, I just wonder, that seems to me to be a hell of a lot of companies in the AI space. I disagree, Roger. I, I think mm-hmm. that's a okay number. That's rather modest. Mm-hmm. But I think mm-hmm. you're right about challenging what we mean by artificial intelligence. Are we confusing sometimes just simply good computing and good kind of uh, data crunching? Are we confusing business intelligence, BI? So there's all sort of thing going on there. But if we are generally looking at I suppose based on last week's episode of AI to help you make better decisions. And if you think about the um, the history of the, for the last few decades of the UK leading the way when it comes to computing, when it comes to health, when it comes to satellite and space exploration and so on, I think that's about right in my view. Yeah, yeah, uh, it probably is. It it, uh, it just made me wonder. It just made me wonder. It was that little thing about is it AI mm. or is it? I really think that's a fair point. Computer pro- and, pro- and I think also, forgive me, uh, Roger. There could be a lot of startups in there that um, sadly may not may not last, or where investors have gone in to try and get into the AI bandwagon, but it just won't, won't last. But uh, it, it's a good thing because you know w- when it comes to the uh, UK, we are missing out a lot on EU-wide initiative when yes. it comes to yes. AI. Do you remember that uh, recently the Europe launched their program of um, next-generation computer, including the quantum computer? And I was a bit worried that UK would be left behind. So yeah, maybe there's a, there's a bit of good news there. Yeah, okay. Let's move on, Pascal. Lots of news items to talk about, but we do have other sections of the show to get through. So shall we move on now to the content spotlights? In this section of the show, Pascal and I bring to the table an item of content that's caught our attention over the last week. Now, it could be an article, could be a video, could be a podcast. The main thing is it's caught our attention for a marketing reason. So, Pascal, what have you got for me this week? So this week, it's an article from Headliner.com. App. This is a second time I think that I bring some of that content. Headliner would be known as the audiogram creator company where you can go online and repurpose some of your video and audio content into uh, static images but with the um, kind of sound playing with the sound waves. And I received an email about a few days ago asking the question, do you have a podcast media kit? Mm-hmm. And the answer was yes, 
But no, what I mean to say is that I knew what a media kit is. In fact, I will confess that I love a good media kit. That must be from my background in marketing in the 90s and the 80s. Um, do you know that I also teach what I call the media CV to be able mm -hmm. to become a guest on podcast, videocast, and blogger? If I'm not mistaken, you were one of the beta tester of the, the new template. So mm -hmm. I kind of thought, well, I kind of have, but do I? But also I was thinking that could be a lovely way for me to supplement what I teach people by adding mm -hmm. a few things. So I clicked on the link and sure enough, I went on the blog written by someone called Megan. So I'd love to be able to give uh, that individual a good shout out. So if anyone a headliner is listening, give us more about Megan. All we have is a first name. We don't have a profile or anything like this. But the title of the full article is as follows, how to create a podcast media kit with examples. Um, it's a long-form article, which I think is lovely. There are some examples, both visuals, and they're structured, as you would expect, uh, as a very good article with why you should bother with the podcast media kit, what should be included, and how to use it. I would also say, like I did last time when I used a content from Headliner, that whilst this is called a podcast media kit, the information will be valid for a video blog media kit or a blog media kit because ultimately you're there to find ways to promote your podcast, to pitch yourself as a guest, but also one the reason why a media kit is also helpful. It's a great exercise to really make sure that your thinking is well organized and that you're truly committed to this series. Series. I'm going to go straight into the what should be included in your media kit. And you're going to see some obviously correlation with my media CV model. Mm -hmm. There's some extras in there which I think are very interesting. So, first thing you should do, now remember, this would be something shared with others. You should have obviously the full kind of content information uh, elements, Don't, not forgetting social media accounts and so on. And in that, they also suggest be sure that your social media accounts are kept up to date. So, for example, you may have spent quite a bit of time on LinkedIn and you may have neglected Facebook, which can happen. Don't hesitate to remove Facebook from your media kit for a period of time. And the argument that Megan makes that is your media kit is something that is a lie that should be updated on a regular basis. So don't hesitate to add, but also take out. So you should also put a personal biography, but the biography should be a, a lot more around you as a content creator or as a podcast host or co-host, as opposed to your product and services, which I think makes sense. Then there should be a show summary and she's advocating the old PR adage of the who, what, where, when, and why, which I think makes a lot of sense. And starting with who, who is it for, what are you covering, where do you tend to record and publish the information, when is it published, and why are you creating this series? And the why is sometimes so hard, isn't it, Roger? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, I mean, this, this makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Perfect sense. I'm sitting here thinking we haven't really got this for this show, have we? <laughs> we we have it, but not committed to a document. And yes. this is where the show summary, I've learned something new thanks to Megan. Now, typically, I would ask people to pull together a great-looking PDF, often using Canva, but she's saying, why don't you make it a podcast? <laughs> she should think, well, yeah, of course we should. Why don't you make it very visual, almost like a infographic why mm -hmm. don't you make it a video mm -hmm. so that in 90 seconds you could summarize and you can make it you know animated 
video. You don't have to be the one talking by all means, but something like almost a behind the scenes with narrations. So I have to say, uh, I thought the short summary element of the what should be in it was very, very inspiring. And there are some examples. Then you want to prove to others that, of course, you are not only a good host, if you're looking for guests, but you can also be a good guest. So make sure you provide links to your shows publish on other platform than your own, which I think is very mm. important. This could be directories, this could be someone else's blog, and so on and so forth. And where possible, why don't you embed the episodes published in other directories onto this media kit, making life much easier for everybody. Have testimonials. So if you've received well done and thank yous on social media, if you've had some compliments from your guest and from your host, make sure you're, they are included in there as well. If you have them, have some stats and some matrix. Now, it's not for everybody, depending on which sector you operate and what dashboard you're using. But those could include also, which comes next, awards and recent press releases. So if you've had a shout out about your podcast, don't hesitate to make sure that it is part of the media kit. And finally, if you're offering the option for people to advertise on your podcast, or in my case, video series and or blog, then have all the specs and information for people to take action. Then finally, the, the article goes into five ways to use your media kit. I shall leave that pleasure for people to follow the link below the, this um, the show notes and follow that. But I wanted to focus on what should be in the media kit. And I think this checklist is amazing. This is so good, Pascal. And again, you know, every week in 44 episodes, we've talked about a film. And you can guarantee that all of those films will have had their own media kits. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been involved in numerous product launches over my career in big corporate, and I've helped clients as a marketing consultant launch products and yes you always put together a media kit it's absolutely obvious that you should be doing this for a podcast as well but it's like a lot of things isn't it you you need that reminder that that bit of a kick and then sometimes you just need somebody to tell you this is the sort of things that you should be putting in it now it might seem like the obvious but what you've gone through there today it just again it makes me realize ah you know i do this for the marketing and finance podcast but not all of those bits so again i'll be going away after this just to go through my own media kit or web page as it as it's as it's more likely to be called and, and making sure that i've got all of those things in, included so once again big thank you to megan whoever you are at headliner it's been a <laughs> wonderful reminder and to your point roger as we're approaching the one year anniversary of two gigs that could also also be a lovely exercise to go through to capture all that information yeah because we've got we've got the testimonials we've got the feedback we've got the photographs we've got the outtakes as well you know there could even be an outtakes part of the uh, of the yeah, media very kit, true there? very very true so what about yourself roger what have you discovered on the interweb Okay, well, uh, let me just give you a little bit of background first of all. It's a little bit of a story. There's been a couple of occasions whilst I've been bringing up my son when I've got a bit annoyed with his school, Oblique University. And both of those occasions are related to him writing a piece of content. Now, the example at school was he was writing an essay, and it was a creative essay, um, but he got picked up by his teacher for using short sentences and using short paragraphs. So we actually lost marks, and that instilled within in him this belief that paragraphs have to be long and sentences have to be long. Indeed, 
quite soon after that, he wrote another essay, and his paragraphs were almost like the entire page. And his sentences, you know, you had to take a huge deep breath before you tried to actually say them out loud. And and I was, you know, the marketing person in me and the, and the, the person who's obsessed with simplicity, as you know, is just wanting to edit this back down to the simple version. But, oh, no, 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 Dad, if I do that, I'll lose marks. And, the, and I always remember that, Pascal. And then even more recently, and now my son is, is, a, is a grown man, he's away at university, he's, he's in his fifth year doing an architecture degree. He had to write a dissertation at 10,000 words. And once again, you know, he said to me, Dad, would you have a, have a read through it? Mm. Now, I thought the content was really good, Pascal, and, and obviously I'm incredibly proud of what he's written. But there were occasions where I'm thinking, Do you know, this is, this is really complicated language and it's also hard to read in places because the paragraphs are so long and the sentences are so long but once again i was reminded this is the way of academia Mm. and he would lose marks if he actually thinned it down now you and i we as marketers we encourage people when they're writing content especially writing content short sentences short paragraphs keeps people's attention that just made me think, and that's why I've chosen this week's content spotlight, because the headline of this article in Entrepreneur Magazine is Three Lies They Tell You at School That Hurt You <laughs> in Business. Okay. And this is by a guy called Samuel Leeds. So at least I have got the name, for, the full name for this gentleman. And it's a, it's a relatively short article, so it's in keeping with with what I've just said there. And it's I read this and I thought, oh, do you know, this is absolutely true that we spend so much time teaching our kids to do the wrong things for when they get out into the real world. And a lot of those people, will, those children will either never unlearn those bad habits because they have been drummed into them whilst they're at school, or it will take a long time to get them to unlearn it. So the three things that, that uh, Samuel says is the first one you're taught not to do at school is don't copy other people. Now, again, I can remember that, you know, you'd be, you'd be writing an essay and who hasn't had a furtive glance over at the person next to you to see if you can copy their answer or whatever it is. And, you know, you you get slammed down by the teacher. What are you doing, boy? You know, or maybe not quite like that these days, but, you know, it's, it's just bad. You just do not copy. But what he's saying is that in the real world, you know, why wouldn't you? If somebody is being successful, somebody has a successful product, go and copy it within the the boundaries of, of uh, patents and that sort of thing and improve upon it and use it as the basis for moving forward. So again, that's one of those things that's drummed into kids, which actually doesn't set them up well for the real world. The second one, and again, I, I just I'm so I'm nodding vigorously as even as I read this for the second time, is l- you've got to learn everything before you try to do something. And and uh, you know, when I was at school, all of our exams, all of our qualifications were exam driven, you know, so we would spend 2 years learning the syllabus and then we would do an exam at the end of that and it would all be on the exam, I suppose at least today they do have a sort of um, 
assessment as you go type of thing as well as the exams but again it instills this thing into your head that you've got to have done everything you can before you actually try to implement the knowledge and what that means is when you go into the real world you procrastinate because you you can't possibly know everything that you need to know before you try something so you've always got this sort of little demon sat on your shoulder saying you shouldn't try and implement that project because you haven't got all the information mm. you need you shouldn't try launching that product because you haven't got everything you know sorted out i even remember having a conversation with one of my bosses when i was fairly senior and he was sort of saying have you can you 100% guarantee that you will hit this mar this market share and i'm saying no you can't you can't get 100% there but he was absolutely adamant so in the end i thought we just had to lie yeah okay we'll get 100% knowing full well that we wouldn't so you've got to unlearn that you've got to just do stuff just do it try it and and move on and i guess that leads into number 3 and there are only 3 pascal and this one is that it's bad to make mistakes. Oh, God, how many times? You know, spelling mistakes, bad news, slap on risk. You know, get a sum wrong. You know, one out of ten, very poor performance. Make mistakes, it's bad, bad, bad. And that create, you know, it can damage people's mental health, you know, for, for years and years, that whole don't make mistakes. And yet, you then go out into the real world and you don't try stuff for fear of making a mistake. But as you and I know, in business, that's probably one of the best ways to learn. And one of the best ways to innovate is you try something and what doesn't work, you either take it away or refine it and make it better. So oh, I, honestly, it, it, it was almost like a little blow my mind moment. So Samuel Leeds, thank you for that. Short article, only three things. Don't copy, you know, learn everything before you do it and don't make mistakes. But wow, we spend so much time being indoctrinated with these things at school that we then have to find ways of unlearning them so that we can be prepared for the real business world as we grow up. And you've got to hope for the younger people who are soon to go into the world of work that they're going to have an enlightened employer who understands that's the case. When mm -hmm. I have trainees learning about content marketing, we talk about it. I'd say, you know, you need to find a way to... Um, we can all support each other, but let go of that, you know, being right first time, which comes from school to your point yes. about getting the grades. You get, you know, you lose points each time you make a mistake. You even lose points if you try and deviate from the brief because you're trying to be a bit, bit more creative. But to your point about making mistakes, I remember meeting a, a, an organization, um, a software company, and in conversation, the MD revealed that this was his third attempt to make a software mm. company work. And this one, mm. he was doing it right because of all the lessons of, of the past. And it's just, you know, uh, we are now where we are with when it comes to particularly my specialism of digital marketing. You've got to experiment. You've got to be curious. Only this morning, I was interviewing somebody from my podcast about PowerPoint and how there are now so many features and facets of PowerPoint, but people don't know about them because they've lost the knack of being inquisitive. Because, of course, you know, once you know how to, to use something, let's not deviate from that comfort zone just in case I, I make some mistakes. So, 
uh, yeah, I think it's a great choice and it's very, very telling, but also a very important message for both employers. I do believe that they have to almost re-educate their young, the younger workforce because they have to uh, move on from the, the environment of education, but also would have more respect for the university and the college if they told your son, listen, you, the way you write, it's going to be brilliant in the private sector, but for the purpose of taking the exam or for the purpose of your dissertation, we favour this format. But I don't think that's been the case. No, absolutely not. It's almost like it's bad to write mm. in that in that way. And, and that's definitely not one. I mean, just imagine that, that example you gave there of the gentleman who'd taken three times to launch this software business. Imagine if he'd given up after the first attempt. Mm. No, we're now about to move on to the contents, to the marketing apps and tech section of the show. Imagine if half of the people had given up after their first attempt, we wouldn't have as many amazing apps and amazing pieces of technology to to review and to celebrate. So these are this is very, very important. So please do check these pieces of content out today. Shall we then move on to marketing tech and apps, uh, Pascal? Let's do that. In this part of the show, Pascal and I bring to the table a piece of technology. It could be an app, it could be some software, it could be a website, and we look at its value to marketers and content creators. So, Pascal, hit me with your tech. Right, so two days ago, Roger, I had the pleasure of attending online the annual conference organized by Facebook called F8 with a theme of refresh and restart. So it was very tempting for me, Roger, to put this into the content spotlight, but I thought we'll change it. And in fairness, the uh, article from the headliner was so exciting, I chose to go for that. But within the conference, so once again, very similar to the Google I.O. conference, which we spoke about a week or so ago, this is a two to three day event now completely virtual. I mean, they're hoping that next year they can be back to doing the big, big event in a, in a big stage and so on. And what was interesting is normally every year there's a sense of excitement about the many announcements, the many reveals, almost like a Hollywood blockbuster. And this was not the case. What was interesting, Roger, this year it was more a question of we've done a lot to create some new features and new products, particularly in 2019, 2020. And very politely and diplomatically, we are asking you to make full use of them before we keep adding new stuff, which I thought w was very interesting. So there's almost nothing new to report within reason, but there were two key messages in addition to go deeper and use the, the platform to its full. The first app I wanted to mention or remind people is the Facebook Business Suite. Now, People may know it as the Facebook Manager or Facebook Pay Manager, but they've done lots to improve its its use, and they are kind of very proud of what they call the desktop version. So if you're not familiar, the Facebook Business Suite is the ultimate dashboard that allows you to manage really all your activities on Facebook, Instagram, and Messenger, saving you a amount of time, but also they have integration with third-party software that you may not be aware of. So in addition to reminding you about Facebook Business Suite, it's also a 
recommendation, which is essentially the key message of the Facebook conference to spend some time to reacquaint yourself with the dashboard or to learn how to use it for the first time. I mean, looking at my notes, you know, you can view at a glance every, all your activities. You can use their really clever inbox to keep track of all the correspondence as opposed to answering within each of the separate apps. You could also automate replies if you're going to be away. They have a more tools section with all the third-party uh, integration, which could include your website, could include your Shopify website, and so on, and, and more. So the Facebook business suite, I think it's essential for anyone who is using Facebook to market their business to really become comfortable with all of it as opposed to use it in a superficial way. The second key message of the conference, Roger, was the rise of online messaging. They have stats which they share, they have cases which they've shared during the conference, whereby messaging using Messenger, using Instagram messaging, as well as WhatsApp, is becoming now the number one choice for many individuals who are not even bothering going onto your website or even your main Facebook page or your main Instagram account, which I think is very, very telling. As a result of which, they're introducing new animations, new ways to signpost people with drop-down menus and animated menus. They have also integration with lots of apps you would expect, and they're also introducing a better video meeting and messaging and better ways to integrate AR and AI within that. So. Facebook business messaging is what I've called it. I put the links below, but once again, they are recommending and I'm recommending that you start to read and watch and learn how to use messaging for your business more and better using both yourself as a human being, but also the use of AI and machine learning because the case studies and the stats they share, Roger, were uh, clear. You're going to get more sales, you're going to get more inquiries if you use messaging as part of your marketing. Yeah, do you know, it's funny, Pascal, I've noticed literally over the last couple of weeks, more people coming to me via um, Facebook Messenger. Is that right? right. Um, yeah, just com complete coincidence. Now, a, a long time ago, I, I uh, experimented with a um, almost like a it's like a Facebook Messenger bot that you can create that you know answers generic questions that people might type in. And I think I experimented with it for a while, and then and then decided it wasn't really for me. And funnily enough, somebody must have somehow activated one of the uh, decision tree type mm. arrangements that I'd set up because they came into Messenger, and it, it was it was actually applying to be a podcast guest. That was right, and they come in and and they gone through it just like I'd set it up three or four years ago and oh look that, that's that's interesting and then literally the following day on whatsapp as well uh, because recently i put the whatsapp button onto my facebook page and somebody came to me through that as well so you're absolutely right and i really love the way that you're focusing in on these big conferences a i'd never heard of the conferences myself but b you're obviously picking up some really good stuff oh absolutely now Ultimately, a lot of the information is addressing developers, people who program yeah. AI. But if, you, if you're patient, you're going to pick up such good snippets of, and for me, it's almost Facebook sharing their business plan and giving you a, the heads up of where the investment is. And right now, Roger, they are investing in business messaging and in the F Facebook business suite. So we should you know take part as well. Good stuff. So I'll tell you about my pieces of tech for this week. Actually, the first one's a website. Now, this week, um, one of my friends 
posted on his Facebook. And the post was something like, Facebook have changed the algorithm. And in fact, Facebook only ever show you the top 25 of your friends. No matter how many friends you've got, you'll only see posts from 25 people. This is a really bad thing that the, al- that the algorithm does. And you need to go into the settings and you need to change the settings to this. Please share this with as many of your friends as possible so that we can stop Facebook doing this. And I read this and I thought, okay, this is a scam that's been going on for many years now. And unfortunately, my friend has fallen for it Mm. and he's put it on his page. And so I typed in and I said, sorry, Andy, but uh, this is a a really old uh, falsehood. Uh, scam, oblique rumor about Facebook. It isn't true. It's not. It's never been true. Yes, they do change the algorithm, but this specific thing is almost like a viral uh, chain letter that go- does the rounds from time to time. And I typed this out and I posted it. And then I actually read all the other comments below his original post, and about five other people had said the same thing. You know, Andy, for goodness' sake, this is this is something that uh, you know has been going around for years. And there are loads of these sort of scams. You know. There's another one which says that um, there are there are five Fridays in August, and this only happens like <laughs> once every 400 years. And wow, isn't that amazing? Well, if you fact check it, you'll find that actually most years contain a month that has five Fridays in it. So it's never it's not something that only happens once every 400 years. There's a fabulous website, and that's my first marketing tech shout out. It's called Snopes dot com s-n-o-p-e-s dot com snopes and it's basically a fact checking website but they specialize in these sort of social media rumors social media scams whatever you want to call them that go flying around from time to time so if you do see somebody post something like my friend had posted rather than just copying and pasting it like they say in putting it out to all your friends it's always worth checking it out on snopes because snopes will tell you whether it's true or whether it's a false rumor that you should actually avoid so and and there's also some really fascinating things on snopes as well from you know from all sorts of different industries there's the there's one big rumor that went round at the united states about 10 years ago that people were waking up having been um having met a lady or a, or a gentleman in a bar having a few drinks passing out and waking up in a bath full of ice the following oh god morning. Yeah. that urban we, legend we, we, yeah that urban legend now again you know that does the rounds from time to time and, and snopes will tell you that is an urban legend and you aren't actually waking up in a, in a bath of ice because somebody's harvested one of your organs so definitely <laughs> definitely check out snopes.com the second shout out, and and I've and I've done restream.io before mm-hmm. um, on the show, but I wanted to give them another shout out this week because they are continually evolving this live streaming platform and giving people more and more and more value. Now, as you know, I do my pre-recorded videos, which I upload to my uh, YouTube channel, the Rog Vlog series. And I use um, a system called Epidemic Sound for some of the incidental music. It's copyright-free music. Now, yes, I could use that if I did a live stream, but it would be a little bit awkward because I'd have to have it playing in Windows Media Player or iTunes or something like that. And I'd have to feed the sound into the the uh, into the video feed and all of that 
Restream this week have just launched their own inbuilt copyright-free music selection uh, widget. So if you are doing a live broadcast, they will give you all of these buttons and you you, know, you can choose different genres, rock, hip-hop, classical, mood music, film-style music, and literally you just choose what you want and press the button and it plays and you can adjust the volume, you can adjust the uh, settings and it plays in the background. So again, it's just those little tiny things, isn't it? I mean, you, you could be doing the in the news section like like we're doing in this show, and you just click a button and play some news-style music in the background. It's just those little things that make you look a little bit more professional and a little bit more polished. And now you can do it inside the Restream app, so it's no more messing around with you know different uh, players on, on your PC or, or your Mac. So hats off to Restream to continually upgrading their system and giving people more features. That's lovely, and and you're right. We, we it is part of the uh, what we want to do with the marketing tech and app segments to revisit when there's something exciting to mention. So, I mean, the first one, uh, I really like the idea. I would also use it, and I might try give it that that pressure test around stats and data. You know, you and I yeah. in marketing and in digital marketing, the stats go low, and sometimes you kind of go, "Is it true?" And, and yeah. you try and do your due diligence by following the links. Is it true that eighty nine percent of people said the following, and and you can never find the source and in a reliable way and what people tend to do on blog articles they just copy and paste the same kind of stat over and over again and then with this one it's just a lovely idea because it's almost what i've been trying to play with the roadcaster pro using ecamm live but everything's been simplified it's one interface are you able i'm not sure that you had the chance to play but are you able to literally control the volumes you could uh, fade in and fade down the music as yep. you're doing the, the, the live streaming brilliant yeah, no, you can do that as well. No, it's it's really good. It's really good. So well done to Restream.io. Mm. But as you always say, Pascal, <laughs> we wouldn't be where we are today if people in the past hadn't dedicated themselves to creating some of this technology and some of this content that we enjoy so much. So with that in mind, shall we load up the DeLorean? Shall we fire up the flux capacitor, set the controls of the TARDIS, and let's head back in time for this? This Week in History. In 1934, audiences enjoy the first appearance of Donald Duck in a cartoon entitled The Wise Little Hen at the Radio City Music Hall in New York City. In 1949, George Orwell published his book about a dystopian future. 1984. This was the author's ninth and final book, which he completed during his lifetime. In 1977, Apple Computer Incorporated ships its Apple II computer, the first in a long line of related computers. The original model, Roger, cost $1,298 and came with 4 kilobytes of RAM. 4 kilobytes, crikey. 1982, Steven Spielberg's blockbuster E.T., The Extraterrestrial, was released in theatres and it's wi wildly seen as an American classic. In 1987, Margaret Thatcher it becomes the first Prime Minister in hotter than 60 years to win third consecutive term. My goodness. And in 1987, New Zealand's Labour government legislates against nuclear weapons and nuclear-powered vessels in New Zealand. They're the only nation to legislate against nuclear power. 
1993, Jurassic Park, directed by Spielberg again, starring Sam Neill, Jeff Goblin, and many others, opens in over 2,400 cinemas in the US and sets box office weekend record of 502 billion, sorry, million dollars. And in 2007, the Sopranos series finale takes place on HBO with its infamous cut to black ending. So once again, we've got a few films in our news section here, Pascal. And thank and you for choosing my hero <laughs> twice. We've talked about E.T. and Jurassic Park. Interesting how I read the uh, money in billions because we're in 2020. And of course, in the 90s, we're still millions, but still not bad. No, I mean, yeah. Spielberg has been and done so many amazing films. Funnily enough, I was uh, I was watching a scene from Jaws on YouTube last night. That I just came across by accident, but yeah, Jurassic Park was. Um, I I remember looking really really looking forward to that because I'd actually read the book by ah, Michael right. Crichton, uh, and and I always thought Michael Crichton was an interesting author because he had that knack of writing about technology and making it sound incredibly plausible even if the idea was complete nuts and i think in his book that he you know they'd actually taken the dna of dinosaurs out of flies that had been preserved in globules of amber mm. and i was just thinking at the time it, it sounds plausible but of course <laughs> it's absolute and utter hokum but he, he just had that ability to present it. But what a great film Jurassic Jurassic Park was, and I can't believe that it's 1993. Um, it feels like an ancient film to be talking about. Indeed, uh, I might you know, suggest that it should be part of uh, the film marketing at some stage. Yeah, but yeah. the reason why, uh, let's be careful, we're going to talk about it in film marketing uh, some days, but the marketing campaign as well was very, very clever, bringing all the lessons learned from Jaws to E.T. to... Um, Whatever, whatever he's doing, and what a contribution to the world of cinema. But with with his work, there's always a sense of adventure. It's just wonderful to watch. Yeah, and 1984. Now, 1984 came and went. Mm -hmm. You know, I was I was still quite young in the real 1984, but I remember reading. George Orwell's book just after I left school, maybe when I was at university. And it's a genuinely scary book. And and I think that as I've got older and as the real 1984, the year, has faded into history and was we head into Crikey 2021-2022, we see so many things happening in the world with governments now and, you know, the the suppression of free speech starting to happen in certain areas. And you just think, this book, you know, was about a dystopian future. And to a certain extent, we could be heading there still. Quite. It's referred to when you watch documentaries, like the one I mentioned last week about AI and so on. So between 1984 and Brazil, a different film altogether. But mm. for me, what is even more uh, impressive is that George Orwell wrote this in 1949. Yeah. What yeah. was what could he see coming around the future? Because 1949, we're just coming out of the Second World War. We are rebuilding, obviously, uh, you know, Western Europe in some some stages. What? He was joining the dots for us on our behalf way, way before there was any signs that we could all read um, that things could go uh, work against us. So uh, I think it's just an impressive uh, way of, um, and what a gift, because people still talk about this book to this day. 
Yeah, uh-huh. and and again, it, it it's it's almost like an alarm bell, isn't it? Mm. You know, we should read 1984 and realize that these things can happen. I, I know there's loads of dystopian future novels out there. Brave New World by Aldous Huxley is one that um, springs to mind. Uh, the Handmaid's Tale, I guess. Uh, that's uh, Margaret Atwell. That's a, that's another dystopian future. Uh, they always felt a little bit more fantastical, whereas I always thought that George Orwell's one. Again, it was a bit like we were saying with um, uh, Michael Crichton. It's it was plausible, and I see so many things happening at the moment, which happened in 1984, the book, and sometimes it does scare me. Um, Apple computers, Pascal, and a whopping <laughs> four kilogra- kilobytes of RAM. I nearly said kilograms there. Kilobytes of RAM. Wow. I remember when I was younger, I was just coming out of school, and I trying to convince my mum and dad to buy me a Commodore PET. Now, I think that that would probably have been more like about 1981, 1982. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they were as expensive as £1,200, $1,200. But the PET came with eight kilobytes of RAM, which I thought was fantastic. But wow, crikey, that's about the size of a one-page Word document now, isn't it? <laughs> now it is, yes. Uh, what is crazy <laughs> is that if you bought a uh, more recent um, MacBook Pro with the M1 chip and probably in the tune of, to the tune of 8 gigabyte, that's the same price. Yeah. Give or take. Yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> a- absolutely. I mean, there's some rule, there's some law, isn't there, that microprocessing capacity exponentially rises i can't it's not the peter principle that's something else but it's something Mm. like that but it's incredible and that's why i love this part of the show so much it's just looking back and thinking wow think how excited we used to get about 4k of memory and now we just blink and miss the fact that most iphones and most android phones probably have something like 512 gigabytes of Mm. storage in them i mean it's just absolutely incredible and I think we definitely should always continue to celebrate these past achievements because these past achievements are upon which our current world is built. Pascal, I think we should probably move on and talk about some creators a little bit closer to home and a little bit more contemporary. <laughs> what do you think? Let's do that. Let's move on to creator shout outs. In this part of the show, Pascal and I give shout-outs to our creator friends, usually people from our immediate network, sometimes slightly outside. So, Pascal, who is your shout-out this week? So today, uh, in the spotlight, I wanted to introduce you to Judy Parson. Now, Judy is a LinkedIn trainer and consultant. She's been really, for years now, banging the drum about how to use LinkedIn smartly, not spammy, you know, using for lead generation, for building your reputation. And she shared so many nuggets of information, always keeping informed of the latest development with the platform. But more recently, she's become the host of a live video series. She's called LinkedIn Lovin 
And what she does is the second Wednesday of every month, she interviews somebody using LinkedIn in new and innovative way to become a source of inspiration to others. Uh, I think it's wonderful. I, I think Judy has been such a great source of information for all of us, but she's now also bringing the network. So I did ask her permission to a mentioned the uh, the show that uh, I think the, the first one would be is eminent, but also how did you come up with a name? Now, what she did explain is that before the pandemic, she used to be out and about, like all of us, sharing obviously her words of wisdom about the um, LinkedIn, how to use it. But also what she was saying, you know, it was all about sharing the LinkedIn love because in some circles, LinkedIn is getting a bit of a bad prep. People say it's it's tired, people say stuffy. Um, unfortunately, people are overusing you know, the messaging bit to to spam your inbox and so on. So she's, she wants to do it the other way and help you find your dream client. Then she moved on to doing webinars. But again, you know, she, she missed that interaction, that conversation. So she's now flipped it completely. And the LinkedIn loving is now in conversation with others using the platform. And she's just, you know, being the host. And I think it's wonderful. And again, it's a new series being launched very, very soon. So Judy Parsons is today, is today my shout out. Fantastic. And Pascal, my shout out is also LinkedIn related, <laughs> uh, which is a, a, a surprise. Now, last week in the tech section, I mentioned LinkedIn have just introduced these video um, profile That's videos right, yeah. that you can put in uh, 30 seconds introducing who you are they've also recently started rolling out a new form of profile now most profiles are standard business profiles and they show how many connections you've got and your, your job history if you've put it in it'll also show what your last few posts have been and your interactions like if you've answered a query or answered a question or posted on somebody else's post They've recently been rolling out a new type of profile, which is called a creator profile. And that actually focuses in on more on content creators. And it changes the way that you look on LinkedIn. So the connections box disappears and it's re replaced by follow. So instead of connect, it's follow. And instead of the number of connections that you've got, it actually shows you how many followers you've got. And the idea is that this showcases content creators. So instead of just showing you whether you've posted an answer to somebody's question or something like that, it, it literally just puts in your posts, your videos, and your content. So it's much more focused on content creators. Now, I didn't know that this was generally available. I just thought it was the usual thing. A few lucky Americans had got their hands on it, and us Brits, as <laughs> always, were having to wait. And I came across a little video put together by a good friend of mine, Louise Brogan, yeah. who I might have given a shout-out on the show before she's a bit of a linkedin expert a bit like judy that you've just mentioned she does lots of these little explainer videos and this little explainer video i'm shouting out today is how to activate this creator profile so of course i watched louise's video and i thought oh i'll just go and check and see whether i've got this so i went into my profile page and lo and behold there it is the button to change my profile into a content creator's profile as opposed to a business one so i switched it on and i found out that i've apparently got about four thousand six hundred followers and i think a follower is somebody who you are connected with um but sometimes you can be connected with somebody and not follow them 
So there is a subtle difference mm. or something like that. So I was actually quite surprised by that I had that many followers. And then I actually quite like the way it does focus in on your content. I'm not sure about the, the focus on followers. It introduces a sort of ego thing for me, and it's it becomes a vanity metric. I mean, does it matter? You know, I thought we'd all long since... Mm passed by this whole I've got more followers than you thing but but anyway I thought I'd turn it on and I thought I'd give it a, sh- a, a, a try and see whether it changes the way people interact with me so Louise thank you for doing your video and thank you for prompting me to go and checking out whether I had this creator profile on my LinkedIn account Super. So for viewers and listeners, if you are not following or connected with Judy Parsons and with Brogan, do so. If you really are keen to always be kept up to date with what's happening on LinkedIn, there are two great ladies to follow indeed. So Pascal, we are at that moment in the show when we head into possibly our favourite <laughs> section. And that, of course, is film marketing. You know, Pascal, when I look at really successful films, one my heart often sinks when I hear of somebody thinking about remaking it. You know, a really classic film, something like Back to the Future, my heart would sink if somebody said, we're going to remake Back to the Future. And yet, sometimes they do come along and remake an old film, and they do it in such a unique an interesting, a new way that it totally, totally blows the original out of the water and really makes you sit up and think, wow, that, I wasn't expecting that. And The Invisible Man, 2020, starring Elizabeth Moss, to my mind, is one of those films which I would have said, oh, for goodness sake, don't make another version of The Invisible Man. But they made it, and it's so different to the original, and yet it still pays homage to the original, that I was literally blown away by it. And actually, my wife and I watched it again last night, Pascal, for the third time. Wow, well, we watched it twice with my wife, Denise, but I would agree with you. I mean, if you think about it, um, I've not read the book, but I'm aware of the H.G. Wells book. I saw a long time ago, the 1933 uh, movie, I'm going to say David Raines starring, but I could be wrong. Then I saw the TV series with uh, David McCullum. I saw different versions. I even saw the uh, comedy with Chevy Chase, Memoirs of an Invisible Man to, to my, you know, super, super, all right, Hollow Man with Kevin Bacon. So, I mean, the yeah. list goes on. I mean, I, I, yeah. it's actually quite impressive. And others that I've never seen in TV series from different in different nations and different languages. So this is a story that uh, it, it could come across as a bit tired with, you know, who you know, has not seen or by the invisible man. But the difference here is that A, the storyline is different. It's not entirely focused on the invisible man and his downfall from just playing pranks to all the way to, you know, becoming a, a murderer that's captured so well. And what I will say is there's some real shocking moments, some real jumping, jumpy moments in this film as well. Yeah, and as I said, we've watched it three times, and some of the jump scares have got us all three times, <laughs> even though we knew they were coming. And, you know, it, it it's a combination, isn't it? It's, it's a science fiction film, it's a horror film, and it's 
nerve-shredding suspense sometimes. I mean, poor old Elizabeth Elizabeth Moss, she tends to play uh, women in films who just have a really hard time. (laughs) Pretty much in every film she's in, she's being beaten up or terrorised by somebody. But, you know, this lady goes through so much in this film. Great actress. But some of the suspense sequences are absolutely edge of seat stuff and the thing is pascal you know because it's called the invisible man and sometimes she's in a room on her own and even the just the name of the film you know is there a man an invisible man in this room with her now i'm sure that early on in the film there isn't but they make it so well you know that the angle of the shot this audio in the shot the lighting of the shot you start searching don't you for the there's, there's got to be somebody in this room and he's invisible so you're never going to be able to see him anyway but you're looking it's it's just it just plays with your mind so much and then of course eventually yes something happens in the background there is somebody there and it's just absolutely incredible the way they keep that nail-biting suspense going I think you've got to obviously uh, congratulate the the director who also wrote uh, the film, who has paid his dues with his friend James Wan. Now, James Wan would be known to many for the Saw franchise, Insidious, mm. and, and many others. And and obviously, um, the director, I'm looking at my notes quickly, Lee Waltnell, ha- did Upgrade, which is a great movie, uh, action movie. And you can see some of the uh, style of the c- movement of the camera in Upgrade a lot more. And of course, mm. The Invisible Man. But you're right, and in in the old movies, it was more the the, um, the story of the Invisible Man, and and the way in which you know day after day, week after week, he would start to literally lose his mind. Mm. And here we've got the the character played by Elizabeth Moss, who essentially is not believed by anybody. She's yeah. not believed by her friends, the authorities, think that she's essentially recovering from the fact that she was in an abusive relationship, and so on and so forth. And therefore, she's not believed. You yourself, kind of to your point, Roger, I think, well, maybe she's wrong too. Maybe um, there isn't anyone until you get the first clue. For me, the moment the movie starts to become like really uh, chilling is when she's sat in that room. And I've got to be careful because this is a new movie. People perhaps have not seen it yet, but she's mm. sat in that room and she's staring in the chair. Her friend says to her, are you okay? Or words to that effect. And she says very, very calmly, but very, very distressed. She says, I think there is someone sat on that chair. Yeah. And the camera points to the chair where there's nobody, but th- maybe there is. And that's when the movie takes you know, a very, very interesting turn. Yeah, and and as I say, and you're absolutely right, we, we shouldn't give too much away because, <laughs> yeah, people may not have seen this. It's literally only just come out on, on uh, Blu-ray and DVD, so please do go and see it if you haven't, and then come back and, and listen to this part of the show again. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, it, it, it is such an original take on an old classic that, you know, I I, th- I think that they really do need to get the plaudits for this, because it could just have been, you know, they could have dusted off the old, you know, the guy wrapped with bandages, the glasses, the top hat, the, 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 the long black coat. They didn't do any of that. They completely reinvented it. 
and and it's a actually a decent story as well. You know, it's a it's, it's an abusive relationship story, but they've woven in this whole science fiction trope and this whole horror um, vibe as well. I I I think it's I, I I you know seen it three times. Could go and watch it again now because it genuinely is one of those films that bears watching many many times. Absolutely, and and that's interesting because when we're going to talk about the marketing, there was some um, concern by the way that we're marketing was approached, and and in fact, to your point, because you can watch the film more than once, it's so enjoyable, and there's so much to look at. But also, can I just point quickly? The music is very important. I mean, music mm. is important in all movies. But if you're going to do a horror film, then this is a perfect companion with the visuals kind of uh, what you can see and hear because the music can also tra tra translate a lot more by the emotion of the main characters, but also the impending doom. Uh, another scene, which I don't think will give too much away because I think it's in the trailers, is when she's suspecting that she's essentially being uh, hunted by an invisible man. She suspects who this could be, and therefore she rings the mobile phone number of that uh, suspect and discovers that the mobile phone is in the attic in the house where she's yes. staying. And, and I think the whole movie is, is around this idea of an intruder in your house that you can't see, which is probably calling on some kind of pr primal fears for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. It, it just is. You know, you, you, you can't help but look over your own shoulder in your own house after you've watched this film. <laughs> so, Pascal, what about the marketing? What do you think of what do you think about what they did with this? Well, this is a movie that, like many movies released last year, um, fell foul of the pandemic yeah. and yeah. the restrictions. So if I remind people that the movie was released at the end of February 2020 by Universal Pictures, one of the distributors. This was made in, in collaboration with the Bloomhouse Pictures. Um, fan of horror film will know that Bloomhouse has now become the standard when it comes to getting scared. And then within weeks and days, the um, they had to cancel the theatrical release. And on one hand, what they could have done, Roger, is like others, is to go, well, never mind, we'll pose now and wait till the end of the, the, the pandemic to re-release the movie at the theatres. And what they've done instead is to go online. And yep. they've also, because they, they had that pleasure in the US where they have much nicer weather than in Edinburgh and Durham, they've also <laughs> gone for drive-in. So movie released in at the end of February for a few weeks, then lockdown measures start and they go switch directly onto online and drive in. A very, very interesting decision indeed. Yeah, and again, there was plenty of uh, trailers, plenty mm -hmm. of clips released in advance, but I think that they actually got a few complaints this time, didn't they, by actually giving too much away. Now, certainly some of the trailers that we've discussed recently don't give anything away about the film, uh, but maybe, maybe the trailers did give too much away, although the director seemed to think that actually, even though he did blow a few things in the trailer, there's plenty more to see in the actual film. And as I've said, I've seen it three times and I see something different every time, so I'm not that bothered about that angle. It's fascinating, you know, because so the movie went into production in July of 2019, November, that was pretty much finished in post-production. So November saw the release of the first official trailer 
in the Universal Pictures official YouTube channel, then it gets copied and pasted in all over the web. Yeah. This was two and a half minutes, which is rather long. And as you mentioned, Roger, pretty much told the whole story from start to finish. So you understand why uh, and what is happening to the character Elizabeth Moth, and I'm trying to remember her name in, in the movie. I'm going to say Cecilia. Cecilia. All oh, yeah, right, Cecilia. Yeah, Cecilia. And you see the conflict, you, you see some of the scenes we mentioned about. You also get a sense of resolution when she's fighting back. So many people complain online saying, well, what is the point to go into the movie? But the whole point is, this is not the story you think it is. It's yeah. very, very, very clever. Then, of course, um, February 2020, the second and final trailer is released a bit longer Different scenes, different angle, all in and around the character and the fact that she's recovering from a abusive relationship, and she has, and is shown almost as more as a thriller, whereby it's more her who is mad, and people around are trying to support her than the Invisible Man, which I think is very very clever. And at the same time, which I've seen done before with other films, they sent extract of the films exclusively to some channels on YouTube, which are all about movies. And they also did a IMAX only featurette saying the reason why you're going to enjoy this film on IMAX is all the following. And you've got to feel sorry for the film producers because within moments, as we explained, um, they had to forego the theatrical release and go online instead. Yeah. And and, and again, there was uh, a load of 15 second square videos <laughs> that they put on the Facebook page, uh, the, uh, the, the official website. I actually had some games, didn't it? Wasn't there some sort of uh, game to engage people to look out for references in the film to the original film? Now, I I'm actually thinking, did I spot anything? Did you? Uh, only the the main one that we've seen, which is when she's in hospital because her friends bless her, uh, bless them, think she's going crazy. Yeah. There is a um, a man who has been wheeled out of a um, you know operation room covered in bandages, ah, which yes, I think yes, was the yes. nod. But they're meant to be uh, to be others. But I, you have to, I think you have to be an invisible man nerd to to spot that. <laughs> but so I think to your point, though, Roger, what they did very very cleverly is say, well, since we we are now releasing this online, and you have to pay or rent the film let's crank up you know the social media game so yeah. the facebook page um was pretty much launched at the same time as the trailer november and then very very quickly went we've got to engage the fans so they as we recommend yeah you're right put the video in square format there was um, bits from the film there was comments from the critics repurposed and so on and so forth and the other thing that they did, which I thought was interesting, they also introduced some additional taglines. Each time yes. they put a um, square video. Um, you've not done this for a while, Roger, but you remember when we did the Die, Die Hard review, you very kindly read you know, the, uh, the taglines with uh, that movie uh, voice. So uh, feel free to do so on this occasion, but there was some really, really fun tagline to supplement, obviously, the official one. Yeah, I think the official one was what you can't see can't hurt you. Oh, no, what you can't see can hurt you. Mm -hmm. I love that play on words. That's great. But there were so many others. He's hunting her. Nobody's listening. He's invisible. He's not dead. He's dead, isn't he? Behold a new kind of fear. Prepare for the ultimate night in. You know, uncover the mystery. He's coming for you. It's time for her to... I mean, it just goes on and on. I don't think I've ever seen as many taglines for a film before. 
Now, so once again, breaking perhaps rules here, but yeah. really creating a sense of um, sometimes with social media, people can be forgiven to think that it's done mechanically, that the the marketers or the film producers are not behind it fully. And I think with the presence of the additional tagline to accompany each of the little video clips, you get a sense of at least someone is thinking about it. At least someone is trying to entertain me. The, the one thing they did as well, which I thought was interesting, is to... So you had the, the game about can you spot reference to the old movies, but also you could win a uh, Invisible Man activity book, which I have to yeah. confess I'm quite intrigued to what that would entail. Blank pages, maybe, perhaps not. And all you had to do was to comment and name the director of the very first movie from 1933. So also bringing a bit of nostalgia and inviting the movie fans to interact. So... I'll sort of go right back to the start again here where I said what I did is that on the whole I suddenly you know I usually shudder when I hear that somebody is going to try and reboot or reimagine a classic film um because they usually screw it up in some respects and and usually it doesn't add anything to what's gone before but with this one they really did change everything it really was a different approach, a game changer, almost like a complete reinvention. And I really do think that if you haven't seen it, just get out there, get that DVD, put it into your machine, turn the lights down and prepare to be scared. <laughs> Absolutely. For me, yeah. as you've said, Roger, everything has worked well for them. Oh, by the way, this will qualify as a low-budget movie in the world mm -hmm. of, of Hollywood. You know, I think they mm -hmm. spend in the in the region of $7 million, which I know is a lot of money, but for filmmaking, it's on the low uh, end uh, of the scale. And what they got in return, not just in terms of the monetary value, but the support from the fans and the reaction from the critics, I think it is great. Um, and back to this idea of making the decision to go ahead despite the pandemic with the online streaming and matching the marketing accordingly with, uh, for once, actually an official website that did a good job because you and I have been very critical in the past of mm. official websites and even being daring with um, doing things like Watch Party using Twitter and Facebook with uh, hosted by famous actors and comedians to say, go online, rent The Invisible Man now and you can react and comment on Twitter as you get scared and as you're jumping through the different scenes. And I think just to close this off, I'll refer back to my content spotlight. If you remember my content spotlight, I said that one of the things that we're taught to do at, to do at school is not to copy. But of course, you and I know in business that if you see a good idea, copy it, but make it better. Now, sometimes people copy things and don't make it better or make it worse. Here's an example of somebody who said, let's take that incredible concept, copy the concept, but absolutely blow it out of the park. Mm. And that's exactly what they did with this. Wow, Pascal, yet another episode of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast in the can it's oh, a, a, an absolute pleasure as always to sit here and talk about marketing with you talk about films with you and i hope that everybody watching this and everybody listening to this has enjoyed it as well please do let us know what you think 
give us your feedback give us your comments you can comment on the video on the youtube channel you can talk to us on linkedin you can talk to us on twitter and let us know the sort of films that you'd like us to talk about and give us your recommendations for any marketing tech and apps so until next time please go out there and make sure that your marketing is done right I was Roger Edwards and he was Pascal Fintoni.